Well, today we're starting a new series called The Supremacy of Relationships. You're going to want to take notes today. Uh, you really will want to take notes and you want to take them fast uh, because we're going to go through 21 points this morning. How many, Tiff? 21 points. And so you're going to have to write really quickly uh, to get all this wisdom down. Okay, so we've got uh, a few minutes together and we just want to share with you this is a phrase I want you to write down first. It says that everything flows through relationships. Everything flows through, because everything flows through relationships. That's why relationships are supreme. And we're going to talk today about the toxic uh, behaviors and attitudes. So if we go out, that's excellent, guys. You're doing great on the, on the PowerPoint. Thank you so much. And we're going to talk about the things that are toxic. Uh, to, to relationships, habits and behaviors and attitudes that will destroy a relationship. Now, next week, come back and bring a friend because we're talking about the things that build. But today, you might identify, not in others, but things that actually speak to you about things that you can improve, that you need to get taken off your life and off your, change the pattern of your life because everything flows through relationships. You want to improve relationships because that's why God gave us each other. Um, here they are, 21 things that will destroy and, uh, and dismantle and disable human relationships. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's in your family with your children, whether it's in the workplace or social construct, whether it's your neighborhood, doesn't matter where it is, these things will actually pollute the, uh, the, the garden that you're trying to build in the society of each other. So number one, number one is violence. Violence is a destructive force and it will destroy human relationships. You'd think that a church wouldn't need to talk about violence, but the fact, and it's sad, that we have to actually say to us as a community that violence is never an appropriate response. Yeah. The Bible says in Proverbs that better is the one who can control their spirit, control their temper. If you can rein that in, if you can keep handle on your emotions, you're better than a person who can take a city. You're better than a warrior. You know, self-mastery is better than trying to control other people. So if you are a violent person, no one is going to want to desire to be in that company. The second one is harsh words. Harsh words spoken in a fit of anger linger in a person's head and heart and have a negative impact upon relationships. The residual effect of harsh and aggressive words causes anger, resentment and disconnect, which is exactly what you don't want in a relationship. Do you remember that old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I want to tell you that's a load of rubbish. Sticks and stones will break my bones and my bones will heal, but the words you say over me linger. So be careful with the words that you choose. Words are not innocent. Yeah, words are powerful. Number three is shouting. We, um, in Mackay... One of the things that we did with our sound system guys and our, our, our musicians was we gave the guys at the back a microphone because what we found was happening was the guys at the back were shouting to be heard from the guys here at the front. The guys at the front, of course, they had a microphone. They could declare what they wanted to say. But the guy at the back, and so after about 10 minutes of trying to get things right on stage with our sound guy, guess how wound up he was. But when we gave him a microphone, guess what? Everything de-escalated. And uh, it's true in our house. When Sharon and I were building our shipping container house, we lived in a caravan for 18 months. And so when I said, to her, I might just go next, I might just go into the other room. Um, 
in the caravan. It was always a funny joke. And I'd go and lay on the bed while she'd make dinner. It wasn't always like that. Some nights I made dinner and she'd lay on the bed. But, but, but I would go into the next room. And, you know, she could whisper and I would hear her. So if she ever mumbled down her breath, which she never does, but if she ever did, I would hear her. But now, now I've got to say, sweetheart, I've got to be in the same postcode if you want me to hear you. Because raising your voice raises tension. There's a place and a time to shout. You know, if you're shouting in praise, it's a good thing. If you're shouting your children on to excel in sport, if you're shouting on a mountain climber saying, I believe in you, that's a good thing, Daniel, keep it up. But if you're shouting in your home and at your children, at your wife or at your boss, or worse, at your employees, not cool, not cool. We've got to learn how to de-escalate things, to turn the volume down. That's why Proverbs says that a soft answer, the soft answer, the soft response, Come on, take this to heart this morning. Loud words don't, don't change people's hearts. They actually close people down. But softness will open people up. The silent treatment. Yeah. Mm. Essentially, sulking is a passive-aggressive behaviour because you're conveying your displeasure to someone without actually discussing the issue. Have you ever thought about that? I became a master at this because growing up my father used to say, your mouth is forever going to get you into trouble. And he was right. So I learnt in an argument when we were first married to just be quiet. But it wasn't a gracious be quiet, it was silent treatment. (laughs) Are you okay? Is something wrong? Nothing. I'm fine. That is, I know some of you can imagine that, but Jesus has done such an incredible work in my, in my life. I'm akin to Mother Teresa now. That never happens. <laughs> but my father used to tell me, it is punitive and immature. You need to grow up. So I'm grateful that I allowed God to do a work in my life. There's a powerful scripture there in 1 Kings 21 verse 4 about a king, King Ahab, who became a sook and he went back to his tent because he didn't get things his own way and he sulked. It's a very, very damaging thing in a relationship to give somebody the silent treatment. Talking about early years in our marriage relationship, I worked out that if I was upsetting her, she'd give me the silent treatment for a day. But if I really upset her, it'd be three days. And I reckon it was worth the extra effort. Silent. Silence is good in prayer time, but it's horrible in a marriage. Yeah. It's horrible when your child won't speak to you. Yeah. It's actually a form of anger. It's, it's a tantrum. Yeah. Just It's a silent one. Hence the term silent treatment. Number five is moodiness. Um, I like this quote by Joanna Weaver. I'm happy girl most of the time, except when I'm not. Kind of reminds me of that Kung Fu food shop downtown. You ever notice that? Open every day except when closed. (laughs) I love that. I don't know if your face smiles as much as mine does, but whenever I see that, I go, that's funny. Whoever put that out there, they've got a good sense of you, a great personality. Moodiness is a destructive force. You ever had a sister that was moody? Not you, not you. It wasn't you. It was was someone else, right? It's just unattractive. It repels. You go, I don't want to be around that. 
It's immature. And this is what the scripture says, talking about our soul. There's a disconnect between our spirit and our soul. And our spirit has got to get the ascendancy. I was walking up the hill yesterday and, and Mick, who was our guy, Mick Ray, champion man. Mick, if you're watching today, you're an absolute legend. And he said to me, he said, hey, you're traveling, David. He said that multiple times. And I said, don't ask me how I'm doing. Ask my spirit how it's doing. Because my body was failing, you know. You know, the flesh is... And, okay, you all know what I'm talking about. And so but what's happening on the inside is far more important. And when you're moody, you can speak to yourself. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again. He's my Savior and my God. You can speak to yourself and call yourself out of that moodiness. You can take control of your own emotions. When I'd slam a door, my father would knock on my bedroom door and say, what did that door do to you? Come back and close it properly. We were not allowed to be moody. It was a good thing, actually. Number six, unkept confidences. The basis for all relationships is trust. So to trust somebody, to confide in somebody, is an act of courage. So when someone breaks your confidence, you are demonstrating, if you break someone's confidence, you are demonstrating that you cannot keep yourself. Think about that. You cannot keep yourself from telling other people as well. So I reckon this is a good rule to observe. Assume that everything you hear is confidential unless you're told otherwise. Let me repeat that. Assume that everything you hear is confidential unless you're told otherwise. Even when I'm talking with ladies about sensitive issues, I say to them, are you okay if I share this with David? Because I want his insight, I want him to pray over this with me. I want him to give me his perspective so the next time we meet I have something else to share with you. But I always ask, I never assume. So why don't you... Apply that to your life. Assume that everything someone tells you, they tell you in confidence, unless they tell you otherwise. The only caveat to that, of course, is if it is something that's uh, reportable and we practice mandatory reporting in our church. So if something is divulged or disclosed that needs to be reported to the police or family services, it's a no-brainer. Just what we do as a community, keep everyone safe. We're all understanding that. So number six is unkept confidences. Number seven is manipulation. You've all had relationship or connection with people who try to get control over you. And they try to manipulate you. There's all sorts of ways that this manifests. Sometimes partners do it in the area of intimacy. It's control. It's a form of, of power over somebody else. It's always repulsive. It always has a bit of fruit at the end. But listen to what, Proverbs, what Paul says about love. He says that love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but it rejoices in the truth, it always protects, it trusts, it hopes and it never gives up, that's the power of love. Number seven, manipulation, bad, toxic uh, behavior and attitude in relationships, it's working against you, it's not working for you. Number eight is threats. When I was doing some research for this, I 
I discovered that our nervous system actually remembers threats. Isn't that interesting? Even when the words are used to explain it away or it's an idle threat, our nervous system remembers a threat. Isn't that incredible? Early in our relationship, we decided that the D word was never going to be on the table. Ever. Divorce. He would just have to suck it up. No, I mean, no, no. Never would we allow ourselves to talk about that. Now, this is our story. This might not be your story. So, please hear what I'm saying. We just determined that we were going to walk through the stuff to get to the place of a good, healthy, mutually satisfying relationship. There was never a threat of divorce. I never wondered if he would come home from work or not. I didn't check the wardrobe after we had a blue to make sure that all his gear was still there. But imagine if you're a person that lives with that on a heightened sense of awareness. Your nervous system is constantly in that state of either fight, flight, freeze or fawn. Your nervous system cannot cope with continual threats. And the nervous system doesn't know the difference. So it will stay in that place of high alert. There's an amazing scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 that says, Do unto others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law of the prophets. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Number nine is emotional distance. And this is so far from the heart of Christ. It's so far from, from the, the, the revelation of who Jesus is. There's nothing distance about God. God may be in heaven, but he's actually in every breath as well. And that's the, that's the wonder of God, that he's not just somewhere far away, but that he's right here. And, um, you know, this, this scripture, I'm sure many of us would have read it and heard of it, but I want to draw your attention to the key word in this verse. It says, love one another as I've loved you. It's easy to read it like that, but when you actually pause and you let the scripture bite you, when you let the scripture affect you and arrest you and take your attention, love one another, someone say it with me, as. That's powerful right there, isn't it? I mean, that's confronting. How did Jesus love us? He came. He paid the price. He'd rather go to hell than to go to heaven without you. This shows that God wants to be close. He'll do everything. He'll bankrupt heaven so that we've got a free door in and access in. God doesn't want to be a far off God. He's closer than your hands, your feet, your breathing. God is right there. But being emotional, being cold has got no place in a functional relationship. Husbands, don't be cold. Wives, don't be cold. Kids, don't be cold to your parents. Dads, don't be cold to your children. Be affectionate. Pour out your words. Give gifts. Demonstrate love. Have an affirming touch. Right? demonstrate your emotional some of us some people grew up with an absent dad not that he wasn't not that he'd left the house but that he was still in the house but he was never available to them research is showing that on average fathers in Australia spend less than one minute in conversation with their at-home children on a day by day basis 
and less than 14 seconds talking directly to their individual children. Dads, we can do better. That's not a criticism. It's a fact. It's how it is in our world. But we can change. If we address this, we'll go a long way towards building healthy, mutually satisfying relationships. Number 10 is broken promises. Infidelity. Infidelity or cheating is the act of being unfaithful to a spouse and the consequences are, are numerous. When you break a promise, it creates emotional conflict. You lose honesty and the relationship is poisoned with mistrust. This scripture in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 5 is incredibly powerful. It says it's better that you should not even make a vow than you make it and not keep it or not pay it. Number 11. You doing okay so far? Are you doing all right? Is this helpful? <laughs> Ever driven down, number 11, Ever driven down the highway behind a guy or a lady, let's just say it's a guy, and they don't know what speed to travel, and they speed up, and they slow down, and they speed up. And, no, women don't do that. They just speed, right? It's got to be a guy that's doing this. I tell you, it's got to be a guy. And sometimes that guy is me. Sharon says, you're not paying attention, are you? <laughs> I look down. I'm doing 80 k's an hour in a 100 k zone because I'm talking with her, and now she's got my attention. Stop laughing, Narelle. And I just, I just, I, I thank God, praise God. There's this new invention. It's called cruise control. What a ripper, hey? It's like magic, that thing. It's magic. You press the button, hey? Then you chat away. It's great. Inconsistency. Like chewing on a tooth that's out of joint. Not good. Not cool. Number 12, financial mismanagement. The kind of stress created by financial mismanagement mismanagement can stifle a relationship and cause people to forget why they actually fell in love with each other. There was a recent survey done and 31% of people surveyed reported that money mismanagement was a major source of conflict in their relationship. Um, Early on in our marriage when we didn't have a lot of money, we set a limit for $50. We could spend $50 on whatever we wanted and not tell each other about it, like not be accountable to one another. And then as our financial status increased, we moved it to $100. So he was free to spend $100 on whatever and not check, and I was too. I won't tell him about the generator. We'll just move on. generator. Apparently, $2,000 later, and I didn't get a text or a phone call, thank you very much, but we won't talk about that, shall we? No. It's a blessing to someone else now. But being consistent with your financial stewardship builds trust. Now, Whenever I shop, the, the um, cashier says, would you like a receipt? And I go, yes, please. I know I'm killing a tree, but I can't help it. I've got to take it home to my husband. He knows where our finances are before the bank does, okay? Because that's his gig. That's what he does. He's not checking up on me. He's not checking up on himself. He's keeping a record so that we don't get in the red. But... 
If you have ever been in a situation where finance is a high stress thing in your relationship, you will know how toxic that is. Someone very close to me was married to somebody who didn't even play cricket and she would give him the rent money to go and pay the rent and he would come home with a cricket bat that cost $120 and the rent was 200 bucks. I know what I would like to have done with his head with that cricket bat. Back, back then. And it wasn't him, okay? It wasn't him. <laughs> but you've got to trust each other with finance. If you don't, that is toxic in a relationship. Number 13, and let's be clear, Australia has got a problem with substance abuse. Yes. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's illicit drugs, we are self-medicating as a nation because we're trying to numb the pain that we are feeling. And if this is a challenge for you, then um, seek help. Seek help. Don't, don't try and fight this giant alone. Get, get help and come through the other side. Um, it, that's point 13. That was quick, wasn't it? Number 14, lack of manners or express, expressed appreciation. It's interesting how... Often people resent the fact that they're un they feel underappreciated and yet they're the very people who don't demonstrate appreciation to others. Ding, ding. If you feel underappreciated, let me encourage you to demonstrate your appreciation to someone else. Because it is reciprocal. But it is something that we need to demonstrate 1 Corinthians 15, 33. There is a great scripture um, to include in that expressing appreciation. Guys, it's uh, still a genuinely thing to do to open the door for a lady. It's still an appropriate thing to say thank you when someone does something nice for you yeah. and express gratitude. It, it costs you nothing, right. but it puts butter on your toast. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, number 15 is control. Um, a controlling spirit, a, a dominating and, and uh, you know, that, that kind of thing will destroy. It will undermine any health that's within a relationship. Look, listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of of others. It's interesting how many men know the verses in the Bible about women submitting to their husbands, but never learnt the verse where it says, Husbands, submit yourself to your wife. Right. Really strange that. Hello, yeah. can I get a witness? Control is a wicked thing. Yeah. You're not to control each other, you're there to serve each other. Yeah. Number 16 is put downs, and I'm not talking about healthy banter or teasing. You can see that goes on a lot in our world. There are numerous reasons why somebody would try to dominate somebody else by putting them down. Often when I see somebody trying to put somebody else down, I think, you poor little person. Because the only reason someone puts someone else down is to make themselves look big. So when you put someone else down, it really says a lot about you, not about them. So pay attention to the way that you speak to others and strive to always build people up and encourage people with your words. 
think about the fact that when people leave your presence, do they come away going, ugh, need a shower? Or do they come away going, oh, my tank is full, having spent time with that person? Be a filler-upper of tanks. Number 17, uh, unresolved or unused uh, conflict resolution skills. You know, the scripture says in Ephesians 4, it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't stay angry. If you don't resolve things every single day, do you know what happens? Stuff gets stuffed. Do you know there are stuffers and there are shouters? You know, the people who stuff things down and they, they swallow it down and they, they just and they don't deal with it and they actually just polluting their own soul, their own spirit. And then one day, boom, there's this great eruption. You go, where did that come from? And you think, well, it's a result of, you know, maybe weeks or months or even years of stuffing things down. And stuffers, you know, and volcanoes, they're, they're both destructive, right? And so the good thing is keep short accounts. Say, um, there's only been once or twice where Sharon and I have rolled over, given each other the nightly kiss. You know the nightly kiss? We practice that in our bedroom. Uh, the nightly kiss, I love you, babe. Have a good... More than just the bedroom too, I've got to say. It happens outside of there as well. Uh, the kissing I'm talking about. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, there's sometimes when I've had to say, I'm still upset with you, but I'm not angry and the sun's gone down and good night, we'll talk about it tomorrow. I've done that sometimes, you know, just to sort of buy a little time to help me, because I'm a male and uh, it takes me a while longer than Sharon to process feelings. Sharon, she's got this thing called emotion and it's dynamic within her. I've got emotions too. I've got feelings, but sometimes guys going to get a witness. It uh, takes a little longer for me to be able to articulate because if I say something now, probably not going to be helpful. That's why guys lash out physically because their brain's too slow. Girls, your mouth far faster than us poor guys. We're, we're behind you. In the Olympics, you thrash us. So that's why guys lash out and say dumb things or physically lash out. Some of you shouldn't be smiling at this. You should be crying. There should be repentance flowing in this church right now. I see that hand. Is there another? Use conflict resolution skills. And we can talk more about that at another time. Number 18 is arrogance. Arrogance can be seen as having an offensive attitude of superiority over someone, along with an obnoxious sense of self. Do you, do you know anyone like that? Someone who's arrogant. You really want to be around them, don't you? They're the kind of people that I walk away from feeling like I need a shower. They have this air of superiority, of importance. They are worth more than other people. Well, Proverbs 8.13 reminds us that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perversive mouth I hate. Love God. Don't be that. That's ugly. That's all I've got to say. Number 19, uh, betrayal. We could spend a lot of time talking about this one, but here's a couple of quotes I want to give you. The saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. The saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from enemies. Second one is a very small degree of betrayal is sufficient to cause the death of trust. Trust 
is the fundamental basis, the fundamental foundation of all human relationships. There's a scripture in Psalms that's up there on the board. It, it's a prophetic psalm. It's a, it's a, it's a messianic scripture. It, it's thousands of years before the birth of Jesus. And yet it describes the relationship that Jesus had with one of his closest disciples. You remember at the, uh, at the, uh, at the, at the Last Supper, Jesus washed how many feet? 24, but 12 is a good answer too. Uh, there's a little test there. Uh, but he, he washed them all, right? He washed them all. And that night he said, one of you guys are going to betray me. And they're all going, who is it, Lord? Who, you know, who is that person? You know? And Jesus, knowing this was going to happen, still washed, still loved, still fed, still taught, still associated with. But betrayal will separate even the closest of friends. You know, one thing I want to say about betrayal before we move on, I want you to catch this. This is for somebody today, whether you're watching or whether you're here. You can betray the call of God on your life by just leaving it on the shelf. God has called you, but you can, I'd never betray Jesus, but you betray the call that he's got on your life by saying, I'll come back to that later. No, no, no. If he called you, be faithful to what he called you. I don't know why I'm saying that, but I'm saying that to somebody here that's going to listen to this voice. Number 20 is hypocrisy. Have you noticed how good we are at calling out other people's sins? Have you noticed that? You can spot someone else's sin at 100 yards and we go, that's disgusting. I would never. I'm going to say something really confronting. Do you know that God doesn't have degrees of sin? Oh, that's a grey area. Grey is not a colour when it comes to sin. We are the ones who go, oh, a lie is not, wait for it, a lie is not as bad as murder. Oh, stealing $5 isn't as bad as you know, sleeping with the boss's wife. Do you know what I'm saying? We are the ones who go, that sin is worse than that sin. But it might be revelation for you today that sin is sin. There are no degrees of sin. The wages of sin is death. Not a bad hair day, death. That's God's understanding of sin. And we become so judgmental. We are so hypocritical. And I include me in the we. When we look at other people's sin and we don't identify the sin that is in our own life and we excuse it because we think it's not as bad as someone else's sin. God doesn't see that. God sees my sin just like he sees someone else's sin that I think is worse than mine. I can remember making a confronting comment in a year seven religious education class on the Gold Coast once and I said, there will be murderers in heaven. And this kid jumped up in the back seat and said, not in my heaven there won't. And I said, let me clarify. If you come to Jesus and you confess your sin. Isn't that 1 John 1, 9? When we confess our sin, 
He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from how much? So is there any reason why there wouldn't be murderers in heaven who've made it right with God and confessed their sin and repented? I'm so glad God's heaven isn't like my heaven. I probably wouldn't even get into my heaven (laughs) and neither would you. All right, we're coming. This message is going to close at this, this point. We won't have our worship team come back. We'll just get ready, Mr. Music, to push a button on play. Uh, give us a song to leave with. But um, number 21, and you've done so well. You ready for one more? Last one is lies and secrets. When we build this into our repertoire, when we build this into our pattern of life and living, it's destructive, it's toxic, it, it's, re- it's repelling. It works against us in such incredibly unrealized ways it's like erosion that sort of undermines like the ocean that comes in under a house and just tears the foundations out it it, it says in exodus chapter 20 verse 16 in the top 10 of god's you know don't do this he says don't bear false witness against your neighbor other words only speak the truth in in luke chapter 8 verse 17 it says nothing is secret that will not be revealed and nothing is hidden that will not be known and will come to light. My mum used to teach me, be sure your sins will find you out. And uh, it's true then. It's true in our walk with God. It's also true in our relationship with each other. So as we close our session this morning, I, uh, I want to give you a moment, literally just 30 seconds. Go back over that list of 21 things that you wrote down and say, God, which one of these things are you speaking with me today about? that I really need to work on this week by your grace. I'm going to just, I'm, right now I'm going to reflect on these. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to find some point of action for my life. As I take this away, I'm not here to be entertained. I'm here to learn, to be discipled and to grow by your word, to be challenged by change and changed by it. So which one of these, which two of these, which three of these points that I really resonate with you, really speak to you, really confront you and go, God, I want your grace and your help. Lead me beyond these things which are, destructive to human interaction and human relationships. We read in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God. He grew in favor with man. And that's God's heart for us as well, to be people who can relate well to others. So let's pray together. Ready? Father, thank you for your word. May it be a light unto our path. May it be a lamp unto our feet. And guide us, Lord, in the way so that we can have the success that you've got for us in the most important and vital part of our life, that is our interaction with others, because we know that everything flows through relationships. Let your blessing be upon this house and us in Jesus' name. Amen.